Welcome to the Tutor Podcast, the only weekly show for anyone who is in the business of helping people. If you're a tutor, a teacher, or a coach, the Tutor Podcast will help you start, grow, and love your tutoring business in plain English without the buzzwords and BS. If you want to make more money and make more of a difference, the Tutor Podcast will be with you every step of the way. Hi, it's Neil here with episode 54 of the Tutor Podcast, your Monday morning shot of uncommon sense for people in the business of helping others through tutoring, teaching and coaching. Today, we're going to be wrapping up this three show dip into how our language and that of our clients is a gateway to effective teaching, along with a warning of how it can become a barrier. In the last two shows, we've already examined the VACOG model of language as visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory and gustatory along with pacing and leading language structures. And today we're going to have a quick gander at language that can markedly affect how we deal with greeting clients, ask questions, and finally prevent ourselves and our students from inadvertently generating responses we don't want because we fell into my favourite language trap, the word but. They're really easy patterns to learn and throw them in your teaching toolbox and See how you can use them to influence your clients and your students to move in the direction that's most beneficial to them. Now, since these are essentially also tools of influence, as with any influence technology, there is a health warning, and it's this. Do not ever misuse influence technologies. This goes for everything, whether you use NLP, hypnosis, suggestion, everything. It's imperative that you never use your skills to do harm, to anyone else or influence anyone against their own best interests. If that's clear, we can get cracking. Come on. The first thing I want to talk about is how we greet the client. Now, your language when you greet your client effectively sets a very powerful frame around you. Could you imagine your tutor responding to the question, how are you doing, with, I'm all right. Come on, get real. Your job is to infuse your students and your clients with energy, with interest and curiosity. So I want you to start to be outrageous. When someone shows up for a lesson with me and they ask, how are you doing? The very minimum I'm going to be is fabulous. I might be outrageous, scandalous, bejeweled, dazzling or scintillating, but I will not be fine. And I will not be all right. I'll be chuffed to buggery to be right side the flower bed so be outrageous be flamboyant with your language surprise them a little bit pique their curiosity and this works great as well if if you have a student or a client show up who isn't feeling fantastic is immediately just go out out my rule for the day is i'm not dealing with anyone who is less than fabulous so just take 10 seconds and come back in when you're fabulous now, I used to use this when I was a peripatetic in the school and the kids would just change state on the spot. And it was very interesting for me, given my NLP background, to remark to them, did you notice how much power you have over the way you feel? And you can feel good for no good reason whatsoever. And this got me a reputation of being a very interesting, if slightly odd person. And it made students really want to be in my presence as a teacher within the system because they saw me as someone who was off the wall and outside of the system. Now, as a, as a music teacher, as a guitarist, that also helped me 
to, if you like, subvert what they thought was the rather dull way music was being taught within the school. In fact, that was the whole reason I was in my first school, because I was teaching the headmaster's kids and he wanted me to come and do some of that strange stuff in his school. So greet your clients in a way that produces energy, produces interest, curiosity, and a sense of anticipation of whatever is going to happen next. You're framing yourself, you're framing the whole encounter in the session in a more energetic and positive light than perhaps people are used to. Now, the second idea and language tool set that I want to explore today is questioning. How do we ask effective and powerful questions? Well, one of the things I'm a big believer in is that we should only ask questions that we already know the answers to. So if I'm observing something in a student from their physiology or their facial expressions, the body language, I will ask them questions that simply allow them to acknowledge what I'm already seeing. So for instance, with guitar players, one of my favorite questions is, how much more relaxed do you suddenly feel now? Now, this is a semi-hypnotic language structure, and they have to go and examine how relaxed they are. They kind of have to look into themselves. I'll ask them how little pressure they're currently exerting on a guitar string or how easy it was for them to move their fingers in a particular way. I will often leave long pauses after asking a question because the longer the pause, the more the student or the client will feel compelled to complete the sentence, hopefully like you did in that big pause just then. My next question in language tip is always go for something which provokes a yes answer. This is very common within sales where so-called yes set questions are, you know, just part of the everyday life of a salesman. Go for a small yes, ask for another yes, and simply gain agreement and compliance as you go. As teachers, we actually work towards compliance. It's part of the learning process. We assume that learning is taking place and the client or student is led to comply with our assumption and learn what we're trying to teach them. Now, if you're always asking questions that get a yes answer, it keeps everything nice and positive and it doesn't become adversarial. Whereas if we're getting lots of no's, or we ask questions that provoke lots of no's, then we're much more likely to promote friction or resistance with the student or the client. Once we've figured out how to ask a few questions, it's a good idea to soften them down. We really don't want our questioning procedures to sound like an interrogation. So if we ask a simple question and we get an answer that's positive and what we want, and we want to go into greater detail with that, I think it's a really great idea to just just cushion that second question with a remark such as, that's fascinating, so how do you do that? This is also a very good question with students who are struggling. You can ask, I'm curious about that. And then ask the real question, I'm curious, how is it possible that? And that's a good question. How is it possible that? And the great question I like is, hmm, I'm puzzled by that. How might we change that to make it a little better? These are all classic coaching questions, and a lot of you will be going, well, obviously. But sometimes we don't notice our language. We're just lost in the technical content of our subjects, and it's easy 
to simply assume that everything has been understood and we can ask some clarifying questions along the way. So another question that I absolutely love is, can we try a little thought experiment or can we play a little mind game here? And we'll play down a scenario or maybe reframe the student or client's experience within the framework of it being a, a pretend game, a thought experiment. And we can do that very easily with what are called tag questions. Now, tag questions hang on to the back end of a statement we've just made. Or another question. For instance, I might say to a student, and simply strike the strings as gently as you possibly can. You can do that, can't you? The can't you is the tag question. Or I could say... If a student is reluctant to practice, for instance, and I might suggest that they go home, make a load of noise and drive their parents crazy and then look at them conspiratorially and say, you can do that, can't you? Another question that I like to tag on the back end of things where I'm aiming to get more compliance is the question, can you not? For instance, you can remember to bring your sheet music with you for our next session, can you not? So I'm given the illusion of choice here because I'm saying, can you not do this? Of course, yeah, they can not do that. But even the yes, they can not do that is a form of a positive response. And when you're asking about people's response to things, ask them how they feel because people tend to be a lot less sensitive about their feelings and their thoughts presumably because they don't want to be thought of as stupid if their thoughts are not at the, let's call it the expected level, or when they're not giving us the answers that they think we want. They don't want to be thought of stupid. If you can simply ask, well, I'm really curious about that. How do you feel about that? It's a lot less invasive and people will be less defensive about a question like that than a question such as, well, what do you think about that? So do soften your questions down as far as you possibly can. It's much easier for us. Right, now this is actually an excerpt from a blog post I did a little while ago. These are my three magic questions. I have three magic questions. The first one of them is, what's good about this? Now, just asking this question prompts me to think that and prompts my students to think that whatever the hell's going on, there will be a positive aspect to it. There is always a positive, but you may have to hunt around for it a little bit. And the very best way to hunt for anything is to define first what it is you're going to be looking for. Until you know that, you can't even begin. So by asking them what's good about this question, you're pointing your student or your client in the direction of what you want to find out of the encounter. I would say the old needle in a haystack is harder to find if you don't know what a needle looks like or that you're even going to be looking for a needle. So always ask what the positive part of a situation is. So for instance, if a student is struggling to control their picking movement on the guitar, I'll ask them what's good about it and then I'll just shut up. I may have to come back with a remark such as, well, you're, you're learning this quite 
slowly compared to how you've learned a lot of other things. And that means you must be learning this very deeply. So this is already going in at a deep level and it's going to be useful to you for the rest of forever. So always ask what's good about this. Look for the positive. I think it's a great question, don't you? Now, my second magic question is, and before that, this is something I use a great deal in the early part of an encounter with a student or a client where they're investigating, exploring what their vision is and what they want out of the interaction with me as their guitar teacher or their coach. We're aiming to sort of mutually agree the goal and learning path. I'll have an idea of what I want to do with them, but ultimately I want to know what excellence looks like and feels like to them. So I'll ask them to work backwards from their final vision of how they envisage them. I can't even say that. How they envisage themselves playing or performing. I'll ask, and what did you do before that? So if they've told me they want to be up on stage with their friends playing in the band, I'll say, and what did you do before that? And that's well re-rehearsed. And what did you do before that? And they'll tell me what they did before that. They decided on the materials. They painstakingly put it together. And what did you do before that? And we'll work it back until they get to the... And what did you do before that? And the student will say something along the lines of, well, I came here and sat down with you. And we started to work together so that I could learn guitar more easily. So it's setting up a path in their own mind. And it helps them to see that as a structured process. In NLP terms, we're, we're taking the big chunk of the final outcome and breaking it down into small chunks. Each chunk is in itself fairly manageable, but obviously that can be chunked down yet again until it's really just a wafer-thin slice of whatever it is each individual step along the way is. So it's a great magic question because you really have to think about what happened before they got that gig that they were after. And it does tend to outline that it's a step-by-step -step process rather than the student being overawed by the end result, being so massive they can't even hold it in their own head. And finally, my third magic question is, and what else? Now, I use this an awful lot when I'm coaching and teaching. Usually when the client or student has a moment of insight or clarity into the situation or the, the musical problem at hand, or when they experience a shift in their own per perception. The reason I ask this question is that I believe they've just had a singular moment or a revelation. Why would they want to stop at just one? When I ask, and what else? It sends their brain off in search of even more revelations, insights, solutions, and answers. Why stop at one? I say, well, if you are capable of having one great idea or one insight like that, the chances are that there's another one snuggled in behind it. What is that? What else did you find? And those three magic questions for me are just fantastic for broadening and deepening the interaction with the students. They're three of the best questions I've ever used. Uh, the questions I ask myself on a regular basis, but I now ask them all the time. And so finally wrapping up this short look into the teaching language toolbox and a few reminders of what can help you, I want to sound the warning bell against my favourite bogey word. It's the B word. 
The word is but. I detest with an absolute passion the word but. That's B-U-T, not B-U-T-T. I want you all to move your butts out of your vocabulary because they have a toxic effect. I've lost count of the number of students who are poised, waiting for me to use the word but when I've said something positive to them. I explain to my students I will not use the word but unless I'm after a particular effect from them. And the reason is this. If you use a positive statement followed by the word but and then a less positive remark, everything that happened before you said but has just vanished. It's been negated by the word but. For instance, as a child, I would get my school reports and inevitably they were pretty dreadful. So I might get a few positive comments and then I'd get all the but parts that went afterwards and this is incredibly prevalent it's just careless and sloppy syntax the moment you say but the guards go up on your students and on your clients words that you could use instead are furthermore and as well as that you could maybe replace it with and you could even and then tell them what it is you want them to do so, for instance, if I say to you now that you are the most beautiful, wonderful and serene person I've ever met, but you are now absolutely convinced that whatever I said about you being beautiful, serene, wonderful, was all bunk. That's how it works for you, isn't it? And that's how it works for your students and your clients too. So I would suggest strongly that you remove, eradicate completely, tear out the word but from your vocabulary. In daily life and in your professional teaching and coaching practices, the word but, I think, is an absolute liability. Get rid of it. So that's about my 10 cents worth for the day about greetings, asking questions, and the dangers of saying the dreaded word, but. Let me know what caught your ear in this episode and how you get on putting the ideas to work in your business. Email me. It's info at neilcamado.com. Please like and subscribe the podcast so you can keep on getting updates. And I will share with you everything I know about how I've, for the last 20 years of started grown and loved my tutoring business how i love it now and in the next episode we'll be sifting through even more of the myths mysteries and misunderstandings that we all face trying to separate the fact from the fiction distilling it down to the bare bones so you'll know exactly how to take your business along and make more money and have more fun in your tutoring business join me neil camado for the next fun-packed episode of the tutor podcast Have a fabulous day. Get in touch with the Tutor Podcast via email or social media. And the Tutor Podcast team will be listening. Subscribe on iTunes and you'll automatically get the latest episode directly sent to your device. And remember to share, rate and review TTP so that we can help other people to start, grow and love their tutoring businesses. 